Hi, you're listening to the Mirum Talks podcast coming to you from the Mirum Stockholm office. We're talking with inspiring people from different backgrounds, sharing their opinions about change and new perspectives within the digital industry. Today, we're welcoming Anna Goulstrand, who went from being agency CEO to change facilitator for companies. We'll discuss system thinking, climate change, and the handmaid's tale. Welcome, Anna. Thank you. You have a long and broad uh, backgrounds. Could you say something about how you ended up doing what you're doing today and say something about what you do today? Yes, uh, so today I work as a process designer and learning designer and facilitator. So I'm mostly helping different organizations and companies to deal with uh, yeah, to de deal with culture change and also a lot of digital digitalization and digital transformation and also to to basically to reach to be more successful and to reach their goals. And uh, Actually, I feel a little bit like the circle is now, what do you say? It's, it's closing. <laughs> it's closing because I started my career or my professional journey at Hyper Island, which is a school that is focusing a lot on group development and group dynamics and digital and cre cre creativity and innovation and leadership. So that was back then I got like really engaged in this kind of topics when was this and uh, this was in 2003 ah, so it's pre pre facebook and exactly pre we didn't else, have yeah. an iphone then no. i guess no <laughs> imagine that yeah i don't know what what was going on so so basically it started then and then i went straight into the digital um, business and uh, worked at the digital agency uh, or several uh, for 12 years uh, here in Stockholm, in Helsinki, and also in Russia. And then one and a half year ago, I quit as a CEO and because I decided to work more with the facilitation. Okay. What was it that made you take that jump into? Yeah, like several things. Uh, I think mostly because I was like more curious on what would happen if I if I wasn't a CEO anymore. Okay. I, I started to like, you know, like life is short. Should I do the same thing all uh, like all the time? Like, I think I needed some new challenge and I needed to like, I, I think a lot actually it was about that. I needed to explore some, something new and learn new things. And I just had to like go away from like the current state to be able to do that okay and what is it about facilitation and this that is so interesting for you like what is is there a nerve somewhere on yeah i think it's uh i i love to see like synergies and like when when 
there's energy in the room or when an energy is shifting and when people start to look at each other in a different way and see new things and explore new things and come up with solutions together. Mm. So it's something about like being more in that moment. Uh, and when you work as a facilitator, you are like so 100% in the moment. And that's like super, uh, it's a privilege and it's also super exciting because everything can happen when you work with groups. Yeah. So you experience the awakening and uh, in groups that must maybe wasn't awake before. Yeah, sometimes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So what, how, how, do you, how do you do to create that? Yeah, there's a lot of things you do, and uh, actually now I'm uh, I'm learning new things uh, because I also decided to write a book about facilitation. Okay. So that's like also one a way for me to learn more, <laughs> to like really go in depth and to read a lot and and take a look at different researches and studies and so on. Uh, And one thing that I work a lot with now is a model that's called the SCARF model, which is a neuroleadership model that talks about um, what areas that humans can, can feel like threatened within when they are in a social context uh, and also what areas that you actually need to be rewarded in. And, and it's the same areas. So basically, uh, it has to do with like to, uh, with status, with certainty, with uh, feeling related to the group, with fairness, and with um, uh, autonomy. So basically, I work quite a lot with that when I work with groups. Like, how can I reward this thing, these five things, to be able to, because when you reward those things, people get more. Uh, they feel more basically they feel more safe and and the trust uh, they feel safe in the group or safer at least and then and that is like something super important if you want innovation and creativity so there i always start with that basically as a mental model like how can i reward the members in this group within these five areas so that's one example How, on what I do. <laughs> so what sparked the idea of, um, uh, you know, writing a, a book? Um, I've always liked to write and I, I love to, I, w I think it, it was, I went to this, uh, find you, if you're confused, find yourself in life uh, weekend <laughs> at the Aquarat, which is an island outside of Stockholm. They have these like three days retreats. Uh, so, Uh, and it sounds super like, I don't know, I don't know what it sounds like, but it's, uh, it's really good. You like go, go through your values and your network and what's important for you. And you, you also talk, uh, you like acknowledge your strength and those kind of things. So when I did that, I understood that the things I mentioned before is super important to me, like to see people grow and to see uh, stuff happening in a group and so on. And then I also reali I realized that I'm good at leading and I'm good at also writing and I'm good at like putting things into perspective and making things pedagogic. So then I thought, hmm, 
maybe I should combine those two for the first time in life. Uh, and also because it's like a great way to learn new things, yeah. to, to write about it, to write chronicles or to write a book. Then, I mean, you really need to be on top of, of a subject or a topic if you're going to write about it. So it's like a, a way for me to be, to get to know more about something. And also the feeling that maybe I don't have to be the expert to write something about yeah. something. Maybe I can just be an explorer and that's like enough to write a good book. Mm. Yes, definitely. And I think that about those retreats, there are more and more people that, you know, are looking for this quest to find more meaning in their life and how they can um, conjugate that meaning with uh, their uh, job, etc. So it's quite good that you got the chance to do, the chance to do that, especially on a nice... Uh, island in the archipelago yes so, it was super nice yeah <laughs> but so um uh, you mentioned about the fact that you like leading and also the fact that you like seeing uh, synergies uh, within groups is it uh, something um that drives you uh, the most when uh, you uh, work with companies or are there uh, other things that motivates you into um, helping uh, uh, corporations achieve uh, uh, change because I guess we can say from the discussions that we might have with uh, other people and also from what we see here within the industry that it's not easy at all. And sometimes it can get frustrating. It can be a bit complicated. So what, you know, gets you going um, mm -hmm. in that sense? So the, what really drives me is that when I go out and work with groups or companies, I see that there's so much potential that are not like used. So there is a lot of like, creativity knowledge within the people in the organization and and somehow because of the culture or leadership style or whatever this it's not released or unleashed so basically i think that is what i want to do i want to make sure that all the competence and energy and creativity that lies within people are uh, fully used And for that, you need like higher engagement and higher well-being and a higher um, level of psychological safety and a lot of things. So basically, I try to set to to help groups to set up other ways of working that are more efficient than they've been working uh, previously. So that's uh, that's something I see everywhere. That like. You're not using the whole, the whole, this whole group. Why is that? Yeah. And can you, um, is there like some uh, specific group dynamics that you've been able to identify and that are recurring? Uh, yeah, actually, uh, research says, and I've also experienced that myself, and I think you have too, is that groups, all groups actually go through the same basically stages. Uh, so, so you can really, you can quite fast feel, um, or you, because you look at people's behavior, what stage the group is in and if they are a productive and efficient group or not. And also re research says that only, or I read one study that said that 80% or 70 to 80% percentage of all groups are not efficient. So there's a lot of potential. 
And also if we look at this like studies of uh, employee engagement and so on, like uh, Gallup has one that's like the uh, world employee engagement study something. And it shows that the engagement is super low. It's like around 15% in Europe in on average, like people who are fully engaged. So there's a lot of things that can be changed and released. And and if you want to be successful today with all the change that's happening, of course you need to to take all to to get everything out of all your employees. I was thinking also that you mentioned that you were a CEO before and now you are in a completely different position. So I'm curious you know, in terms of skills, what kind of skill sets did you have to develop um, in order to do that switch? Mm-hmm. I think uh, a lot of things I've already had, uh, like in terms of listening and um, uh, having compassion for people and trying to understand other people and and uh, and so on. So the new skills that I had to acquire was that to stay neutral uh, about the content that's being discussed. Because as a facilitator, you you are responsible for the process, like the workshop methods and the the, the yeah how people are interacting uh, towards each other. Uh, and if you have been a CEO, a project manager, or strategist, you always like you want to interfere with the what's being discussed you have ideas you have like comments and so on so when you facilitate you need to hold back on all those things and let the group uh, uh, be in charge of the content and i think that is like the made yeah uh, an important switch that i made okay and uh, when you're working in these workshops and like let's imagine you have a new group that's you are bringing on to a process like maybe you don't know the content of the outcome Mm -hmm. but you know there's going to be an outcome Mm. and during this process you experience different types of resistance maybe or Mm. engagement in in the process Mm. in itself what kind of like have you any thoughts on the types of resistance that you kind of feel within groups mainly but maybe also in different kind of personalities is there's the "Ah, i've done this 10 times Mm -hmm. before why are we doing this again or what types of kind of resistance are you experiencing Uh, yes it's uh, super interesting with resistance because um uh you can see resistance as information. So basically, if someone is resisting something, uh, as a facilitator, I try to look at it as they have information that's not out there in the group. So they they know something or feel something that the group uh, maybe need to to know about to make a, a quality a quality decision. So if I look at it as information, then it lets me be curious on what's going on like if someone is sitting like with their arms crossed for example then i feel like oh this is interesting there's information here that needs to come out because this information is important to be able to 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 deliver on like the the uh, desired outcome of the session for example so then if you have that feeling it's easier than to say something like uh, you can say like uh 
I feel like you might have information that is important for this group. Can you take some time and, and, and give us that information instead of seeing this person as a threat or as a person doing uh, like something to, to block the group? So instead of looking at that person as an enemy, you should look at the person as someone who's, who's having information and he or she needs to be Uh, heard basically first so the first step like if it's a personal with one person is that they need to be heard so you need to um to yeah give them the space to actually talk about why they are feeling some kind of resistance and then you can deal with it after uh, afterwards when you when you when they f- feel heard Uh, so that's one thing. But I mean, I see a lot of, it can be a whole group that is like in denial that like, no, did it, it's digitalization is happening to all other industries, but it will nep- never happen here because we, we really value like uh, personal meetings in this industry and no one will ever want to do this that we do digitally. So that's like a kind of ignore, like you're in denial. Basically, you ignore all the facts and you think that the uh, that it's not going to be as big as everyone says and so on. So basically, the denial is the first one. And then you have um, like resistance where people actually are blocking or are saying like, I will not go through with this change. Uh, so those are, and those two are often based on historical facts, like experience that people have had before. And then the next steps are like if you if you can handle this with the group, so you get everything out and you make them to form like different strategies for how to overcome this different, like who's in denial and what can we do about that? Who's in resistance? What can we do about that? Why is that? What, what can we do about that? And so on. Then you can make people go into exploration when they are more open, like to like. What, what will this mean for me and so on? And then after that, you can go into acceptance or like that you support the, the change. But often there are those like four steps. There's several models on this, like four steps of resistance, blah, 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 blah. So, so basically, I mean, when I do workshops, for example, I often take a model that's, for example, this kind of model like denial, resistance, exploration, and uh, acceptance, like that kind of model. And then I do a workshop out of it mm-hmm. and make people go through the steps and look at, for example, we are going through change, what's going on, uh, who's in our, in our organization are in this step, why are they there, what can we do about it, who is there, what can we do about that, and so on. So they will. the whole point is that the group should come up with their own strategies. So I'm not telling them anything about how to, to deal with it. And they are coming up with everything by themselves. Okay. There's this uh, saying that the culture eats uh, strategy any day. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, and I guess your, your viewpoint is that... Uh, by liberating the full potential of a group, if it's uh, information or if it's efficiency or uh, to build a kind of culture mm-hmm. around openness or sharing information or in order to become more efficient. Does everybody wants to work in a more efficient environment? <laughs> That's like one question. Like, uh, Yeah. But it means uh, it depends what you mean with efficient, because if efficient can also be that you spend a lot of times on 
uh, some on fewer things, for example. That's also to be more efficient. So an efficient can also be that people are more engaged, which makes the work more efficient. So you do less, but you do it more engaged. And then, so it's not about like finding this super recipe with everything is like streamlined and perfect. It's not about that. For me, it's not at least. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, yeah, maybe you then need to have a discussion with the group, like what is efficient, what yeah, is yeah. to be productive yeah. and what is to be efficient. And a lot of groups have quite high productivity, like they produce a lot of things, but we are the things that they are producing effective uh, or not and qualitative. Exactly. Yeah. And that makes it efficient or not. Yeah. So efficient has m much to do with the actual outcome. Yeah. Uh, well, that's also interesting. Like in 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 efficiency, to actually kind of uh, make uh, definitions of uh, what we mean by certain things. Yes. Maybe again a little bit back to the information and sharing information. Mm. Uh, that sometimes you can walk into a group and you can use the same type of words, but when you actually leave the group, you have totally different experiences mm. of what the conversation was about yes that's so true yeah and that's also why one of uh, the facilitators like most important thing uh, for a group is to pro to, pro to provide closure so like all meetings and workshops needs to have a phase where you actually discuss like this what was what we discussed do we all agree that this was what was decided yes or no this was the meet uh, the purpose and the desired outcome of, of this meeting did it happen or not do we agree on that yes or no so who is doing what to what time and uh, and so on, like uh, to do a real like um, action planning and so on, and and to make sure that uh, stuff that was decided are like super clear, so the whole group says yes, that's decided, that's a decision, and those things that are not are that, that are not decided are in a separate note. So so those kind of things often people skip those things when they have meetings, out of different reasons. So. When you, you work as a facilitator, you are, since you are in charge of the process, you take extra care of those things to make, to make sure that it's a valuable meeting. So I think that um, that mindset is super important. And in some organizations, they have a super clear, they have a culture that's like, like that. Everyone always discuss responsibilities, action points, when, who's doing what to when and so on at every meeting. And in some organizations, people are just like having a brainstorming session each time they have a meeting and that's it. So it's super interesting how different cultures can develop in different organizations. Which one is the most efficient one? Then? I think the one, actually, it's an interesting question because some of these like more performance oriented organizations, they are focusing a too much on on closing so basically they're closing too early before they get all different ideas different perspectives different solutions out of the group so they're closing the discussion too early and in those other where they're super good at brainstorming they're never ending their discussions they are never never validating or taking any decision so that's their problem so so both organizations needs to learn from each mm. other basically <laughs> In these uh, <laughs> processes and in regards to terminology, there's a lot of different kind of concepts in 
in kind of the world of change that you that you run into mm-hmm. um, uh, if it's uh, co-creation or if it's uh, ideation or if it's mm. uh, feedback uh, loops and uh, stuff like that is there any buzzword that you have uh, close to your heart that you mm-hmm. feel ah this is if I, if there's a quote yeah on, on no my... quote but I think yeah maybe I have one quote no, but right now I'm I'm a lot uh, like I like uh, I'm a lot into like system thinking, uh, like to to understand and always view an organization or a group as a system, and that uh, the system is like giving feedback to itself and like redoing itself all the time, uh, basically feedback loops as you mentioned uh, and I think it's super interesting if you look at groups as system because uh, I had this discussion last week with uh, with them um, which was super interesting that I think we can all uh, we all have had this uh, meeting or group when there's like one person who's always taking a lot of time explaining either like how it was before or saying like we did that already or have a lot of like negative input and the whole group feels like there's like a lack of energy and then uh, if you look at this group and then everyone says like it that it, it is that person's fault that person is to blame that person needs to change his or her behavior and that's like how we see these kind of things but if you look at the group as a system instead then you 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 never say that there's one part in the system that's wrong it's always the system is is um, looping itself basically and giving like feedback uh, to to itself so what's happening instead is that you ask like, okay, so what kind of behavior does that person do? What can we see? And then you hear, yeah, she or he is repeating himself, is taking too much time and so on. And what do the other persons do? They're just sitting there and like um, feeling uncomfortable. What do the leader do? Uh, he's like letting her speak or he's not interrupting. He feels insecure and so on. Okay, do you still think it's only that person that's the problem? Ah, maybe not. Maybe there are other stuff happening in the room. So I got this super good advice last week uh, that just change something. Just do not let the same behavior repeat itself. Do whatever it takes to just change something because then you you change the system, basically. So the leader might do something in a different way or a member of the group might do something in a different way. Maybe you just start the meeting with a round instead of that the first people who says something gets the stage. Just do something different because we're all part of the same system. So, yeah, system thinking. Yeah, (laughs) and I guess that's as seen from a culture perspective or kind of group mentality that you grow into these well s- systems mm. on on that evolves and then that's how you yeah and that's like the norms of them yeah and that's the place that you then find in this group and mm. then it's you have a role in that group for being the one who's always quiet or the one who's always talking about the exactly. past because you think everybody else forgets or mm. something like that that's exactly what's happening so we all we we all need to see our, ourselves as members who can change an ineffective system mm. if we want so we can all make that change and in a big in a bigger perspective in an organization often you work with culture and values 
but then you never take the time to do that like the structural alignment so all your like processes or recruiting manuals or the way you do performance measurements or whatever they are not aligned with your values and that so the system will not change because there's so much stuff that are uh yeah they are making the system be exactly as it was before so you need to do the whole like structural hard work to make the system change if you really want it to change and it sounds like since you're saying just uh, do something that changes that behavior it seems like you're more into uh, incremental changes than kind of uh, the big bang uh Yes. Drawing the carpet under the feet of... Uh, yeah, and not only incremental, also like to to actually work with all the people in the organization to take part of the change if it's possible. So, so they should be... Uh, you should use the whole force and the whole like energy of all people to do the change and also use their knowledge and their collective intelligence about what the company need to change because actually people know a lot more than managers think they know about what could be the strategy what needs to be done and so on but often people like managers never ask so that's like uh, this information stays too low in the organization and that's one problem i was wondering um if you had ever Um, maybe confronted two different corporations together so that, um, you know, to create a bit more of a, uh, not a cataclysm, but like, you know, maybe to have those two groups see something different and maybe put them out of their comfort zone. So Mm -hmm. instead of just facilitating one company Mm -hmm. to actually have them, like sit in front of another company with very different perspectives since you were mentioning uh, earlier you know how Mm. one culture could be to uh, uh, work in a meeting in one specific way versus the other so how about uh, yeah actually confronting two uh, ways of doing things and have those corporations grow from that yeah that's a super interesting thought I never done that, it, not in that way, but I think that that's what needs to be done more and more because if we look at, at like the major challenges that we have on earth, like climate and those kind of things, the whole the whole problem is that people are not working, people are still working in silos, like the yeah. industry is there and politicians are there and the civil, uh, civil um, what do you say, like society is here and then we have Greta Thunberg, she's mm-hmm. there and then we have, so so basically, uh, and all the, like the young people, so they are, they are not working together mm-hmm. on the issue. Uh, so, so those kind of initiatives needs to be, of course, we are seeing a lot of that, mm-hmm but we need more. Yeah. Uh, but actually what you do when you facilitate is that you, you, you try to set up other norms and behaviors from the start. So that's like one of your biggest contribution because you know what is efficient behavior. So you're actually telling that from the start, like here's, here's, an, here's an example of efficient behavior. How, what do you think about this? Listening to each other, <laughs> do, do not interrupting, <laughs> uh, like build on each other's ideas. What do you think about this list? Is this something we can work on at this meeting? And people say often say yes, because they want help to change the norms that they have built. Uh, but they feel like powerless in a way because of status and hierarchies and something. 
So usually you can do that job. You don't have to mix companies to mm -hmm. change Uh, the perspective. Yeah, to change the perspective. One challenge is, though, that when you leave as a facil facilitator, they just do the meetings as they usually do, mm. and they get back into the same uh, behavior that might be not efficient. Mm. So so you need to, like, remind them. And that's also part of when you facilitate to make the group to reflect, to be in, like, continuous learning during the session, to reflect on what they actually did and how the energy was and how they behave in that se session if that behavior was efficient and not if it was efficient how can they keep on doing the same type of behavior in other meetings what is hindering them so you can ask those like reflective questions mm -hmm. to help the group to understand what they have been what they are actually doing different uh, because we don't think about this yeah. that often Yeah. Okay. I understand. And is there like a, a specific example that you can share? Not like without naming any company, of course, but mm -hmm. maybe like of a, of one of the hardest uh, situations that you had to work with and what was the outcome of that? I think it could be very interesting to, to have a, yeah, a more concrete example. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, yeah, but I think I, I mean each session you have have its own like uniqueness and like uh, like a, a few uh, a few weeks ago I was working with a group of fourteen people and we were going to talk about how they could collaborate more and be more co like co create co create more, but then I realized quite early in the session that this group was not really a group. They didn't have a common goal uh, that they could like uh, work towards. Yeah. And, and half of the group were like a group, but the other ones were like more isolated islands. Okay. Uh, and that the good thing with the session was that we let that, those like that information take place. And we, we, it was like okay to say like i feel alone or i feel that i'm not part of this group or something like that so we got that information out so and that i think was the, the biggest outcome of that day so now they know before yeah. they didn't uh, but that made it harder so basically what happened was that we couldn't talk that much about co-creation and collaboration mm -hmm. because people didn't understand why it was even necessary yeah. because they didn't have the same goal yeah. to work towards so basically there then as a facilitator you give more room to the discussion that needs to be uh, had mm -hmm. and you give less you change like the things that you were yeah. supposed to do uh, but i i believe that that group got a lot of information that they could work mm -hmm. uh, with uh, after that session okay okay And is there like a specific industry you work with or a specific type of companies or is it goes from the small like, uh, I don't know, entrepreneur, entrepreneurial with 10 people company to like a large corporation? Yeah, that's so that's one of the things that's so nice with facilitation that since I'm not I'm not in charge of the content, I can actually facilitate a discussion in what type of organization uh, because it's the group and the members of the group that are providing the content yeah. for the conversation and I only focus on the on the process so so 
that's the fun part that you get to visit all these different kind of cultures and organizations in different levels and different sizes of groups and so just thinking since both you meet a lot of companies and uh, you've been in the kind of <laughs> digital tech industry for a long time what right now do you think is the most kind of transforming part of of tech or kind of business is there like a, a business model is there a way mm -hmm. of working that is kind of really let's use the word efficient mm -hmm. yes <laughs> it's really people talk a lot about disruption yeah but, uh, which is really fast pacing kind of those types of changes mm -hmm. Is there anything that you kind of see? Yeah, I think that because I was uh, like six or seven years ago, I was one of those lecturers that said like, you know, the lifespan of companies has gone from 60 years to 15 years. And it's like this disruptive technical force. And look at this, all these tech companies are taking over and you will be disrupted by startups and you have to change your business model and all those things. Uh, so I've been saying that a lot. Uh, and the... Uh, First of all, I, th I mean, it, it never happens. Some stuff happens super fast, but some st stuff takes such like longer time. So, 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 but, but what I feel and see now happening is that I think that the climate question or like the, yeah, not the question, the super serious threat to our planet, that is a disrupting force. So I think basically a companies will be disrupted by that and not that basically by their customers and consumers because people are going to start we already see that in in a lot of service that you base your purchase decision on values and you want to buy from serious companies that are like positive uh, in terms of uh, the climate and climate positive is like the new the new word so basically If you don't change your like business model and your values to be aligned with this big cries that we have, then I think that the customers and consumers will turn on you. And that I think will go maybe quicker than some companies and business leaders believe yeah. today. So I think that's the, the biggest disruptive force that we have. Not tech. <laughs> Not tech, no. Tech can help us <clears throat> through this. Yeah. I guess there's a lot of uh, tech that is connected to the solutions to that crisis. Yeah. Uh, and I guess the resistance mm -hmm. <laughs> from the system on how to adapt those technologies. Mm. But uh, if you think of... Uh, and, I, and sorry, just uh, to mention, to, to uh, put it together with what we talked about before, the denial phase, I think most business leaders are still in denial when it comes to how the climate change is affecting their affair. Maybe not in denial when it comes to how it's, they maybe start to do like changes personally, but not for the business. No. So they are in denial for the business, but maybe in, ex in exploration when it comes to themselves, yeah. maybe, yeah. hopefully. But it also seems almost like, again, kind of that there's a uh, there's a potential if you take a business to actually like to become self-sufficient in mm. energy, for instance, or mm -hmm. to uh, 
uh, take part of a community outside and take responsibility that actually that's just good business it's actually just common sense mm. yeah to some degree yeah um, but I'm, I'm i'm also thinking that uh, i don't know if you have uh, have you heard about the copenhagen consensus Yeah, maybe, but maybe, please uh, explain more. Uh, <laughs> I'm not going to go into uh, a lot of details, but uh, there was, um, I, I can't remember, there was some UN uh, climate conference, mm -hmm. I think uh, 15 or 20 years ago, and um, there was a panel of uh, scientists and Nobel people, and they were all, they were like prioritizing like the 20 most important issues in mm -hmm. the world to solve. Mm -hmm. And then they were saying, okay, so how much is it going to cost mm. to solve these things? So they were actually looking at the efficiency per dollar mm. to fix certain things. Mm. And then they changed the priority list depending on, okay, so what could we fix mm. the quickest? And there was a lot of things also in regards to poverty or climate mm. or uh, most of the UN uh, goals for... Um, so. There is something about like the way that we're doing it today cannot continue. Mm, yeah. <laughs> and um, culture is probably, or collaboration or mm. information sharing is probably one thing. And yeah. the other thing is maybe how technology can can help that. Mm. Yeah, I mean, if, if uh, Earth was a company, no leader would run the company this way. Because, no, uh, no. I mean, you don't do that. You no. don't like end your resources. No. Uh, that's like, major fail yeah. but since no one is in charge yeah then it's like the system yeah. that needs to be yeah so everyone needs to do changes or uh, at all places in the system yeah so what would you want to see happen in regards to accelerating this change for that yeah actually i would love i mean i'm doing quite a lot of things or a lot of things like personally and uh, And I would love if politicians could actually be much more like, uh, what do you say? Um, uh, strict. Yeah, strict and directive. Yeah. Uh, because there are such big things. And when it comes to long-term things, that's why we have the political system to deal with stuff that are long-term. Uh, and I think that Actually, if we look at Sweden, for example, a lot of people in Sweden want change. So that's super clear. So I don't understand why the politicians don't go out and do more radical things. Because I think that they, people would actually say okay to that. Uh, we understand the sense of urgency. Uh, so, so that is something that I would wish for. Okay. And do you think that's going to happen? Yeah, actually, I think we see a lot of, I mean, uh, I think we see changes. And I think, I mean, if we look at uh, what the politicians are talking about now, they are actually talking about the, the, the climate question. They, they didn't do that one year ago. So, so things are happening. But now we need more like uh, bold decisions, basically. But for businesses, I really, really hope for like if if every business owner took their responsibility to be a good company for the planet instead of a, a bad company for the planet, then of course that change would be much bigger and quicker than the political change. Yeah. 
So <clears throat> we have uh, four kind of uh, quite rapid questions mm -hmm. you, you can answer, maybe, or if you want to evolve these. <laughs> so the first question is, um, what show are you currently watching and where? What, what show? TV show. Oh, or, uh, Hands Made Tale. Oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> Not of course, but it's, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> have you watched the first episode or? Yes, I have. <laughs> yeah, so, I, have to, I have to think. And of course, if you asked me a few weeks back, it was Game of Thrones. So, so, but th that's my. Those are my favorite shows. <laughs> but actually, I'm curious about your opinion on how the season is going because I'm quite a big fan of that <laughs> show as well. Yeah, because I feel that this season is starting quite well, and you know, it builds hope on seeing things changing and mm -hmm. happening and it's like you can sense there is a rebellion coming yes up, but i'm really afraid that it's just going to turn out to be really bad and it's just going to end up uh, super badly for everyone so what do you think of that do you think that yeah. it's like there is real hope or that i know, always think it's hope I, i always feel that it's hope like uh, like that's my i, I guess like my attitude in life mm. mindset that there's hope so i hope those uh, the people <laughs> who are writing this script also feel that That's great. <laughs> <laughs> but i think i mean I, i think it's an interesting study of how Uh, a revolution can start yeah and that's what what they are showing right mm. us right now how can a revolution start and how does it start and and you can see this women whispering to each other mm. building up this something yeah that's going to happen but it's interesting that you say that because we can even say that how can a revolution start in both ways? Because even mm. if you look at the beginning of the show, what happens with this like, creation of Gilead is a revolution also in itself. Mm. And so some, it, you know, when you say that to me, it, it seems like actually revolutions can bring a lot of bad things, yes, of course. but also a lot of good things as well. And hopefully, you know, now we will see the time where revolution brings some good things. Mm. Exactly. So you can always like if something, what is dying, what is emerging? So that's, you can always ask that question to everything. Like at this company right now, what is dying? Mm. What is emerging? Yeah. In the world, what is dying? What's emerging? Mm. Uh, and something has to die to emerge, to make other things <laughs> yeah. emerge and get like the oxygen to mm to breathe and live. So it's, uh, but of course, I mean, in history, revolutions has been both mm. good for the people and super bad for the people. Mm. So let's see. <laughs> But it's a good, it's a good study of, I mean, if we, I'm interested in groups and psychology and so uh, and those things. So it's, I, I guess that's why I also love, uh, like that series. Yeah. yeah. Talking about uh, <clears throat> dying and uh, emerging and, um, Uh, something that uh, well now people have more space on their different phones or the computers so they can download new apps earlier there wasn't that much space so they would have to delete yeah. a couple of apps and then replace them by something new but what's the kind of latest app or service kind of digital service that you know you've signed up for oh good question I know you probably have to look at your phone now, but uh, mm, maybe. But I'm, I don't have my phone. But I, that, I, maybe, maybe that's a but sign. But the one that you can kind of that yeah, pops but up maybe in your mind. maybe a sign is like that. I left 
uh, this morning without my phone and I didn't know about it. And then I realized it uh, half an hour later and I had the choice to go back. But then I felt like, actually this day will be better for me if I don't have my phone. So I took a, an active decision to not go back for my phone. So I'm out of phone whole day. And I think maybe that's more uh, a picture of me right now. That I'm, I'm working to actively choose what I spend time on. Yeah. So no app. No service. No new app, no service. <laughs> okay. Only human interactions. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe we'll see what your answer to, the, to this next question will be regarding what you just said. So is there a, a product of the future that you're still waiting for? to come out like I don't know uh, uh, self yeah. uh, no, but cleaning I, uh, yes. kitchen or no but I think that for, for me what would be super helpful is because it's super hard to take smart climate decisions mm -hmm. as a individual today so what, what would be super helpful for real would be some kind of like app or calculator that tells me like how what is the best way to behave what yeah. what goods can i buy or should i not buy mm -hmm. if i'm in the store should i buy uh, bananas or not should i buy mm -hmm. that from that country or not mm -hmm. what, like because i mean the information we talked about information before you need mm -hmm. to have information open information transparency to be able to make uh, smart decisions mm -hmm. and now the information is not out So you, I, as yeah. an individual, can't take the smartest yeah. decisions. And that's a problem for me. I don't know if you have that here then, because I know in France we have an app called Yuka mm -hmm. that um, you can scan labels on products. Oh, that's great. And it tells you how bad it is mm. and, <laughs> yeah. or how good yeah, it is. Yeah. And then you realize that there are some products that you would think are super, super mm. great and that are awful yeah and then some products from like a random bread uh you know uh, of industrial mm. ham that you would think mm. is really bad and mm. is actually not that bad at all mm. um i don't know if it works here but, but that know, sounds uh, great and I, i mean the best for me would be like when i shop at motem yeah. i also get this list of this is what you what you had this is the, like the climate effect those yeah. things had on Exactly. The climate. Mm. What do you want to keep on ordering? What do you want to take away? Mm. But of course, that's not in their business idea because mm. they want me to buy more. So then yeah. they need to change their business yeah. model. So I hope they do that. Yeah. There's actually an app called Think Dirty. Mm. That is, I'm not sure, maybe it's not only kind of how it affects environment, but it's also like child labor and mm. uh, regimes and stuff mm. like that. Um, But, but, we, it, but it would be very cool if you would go to 7-Eleven, buy some things, and on, on the receipts, exactly it, it like they said, okay, so yeah. this is 96% of of uh, contributing to a better world. Or, yeah. Because then and, you start to gamificate. Uh, yeah, but uh, yeah, the, the information is not out there, and that's the problem. It's hard for me as a consumer to... I mean, the only thing I can do right now is to buy less, which is also a good strategy but some stuff i need to have and when i take those decisions i need to know what is the right decision mm. okay so <laughs> um then the last question that is also related to what we just talked about is what or who do you find 
currently most inspiring? I think I get inspired by people who just do things. Uh, so basically, uh, there's a guy here in Sweden that's called uh, Joakim, uh, who is working at Dig, Dig, Dig Journey. They're doing the digital transformation project, but he also did this Klimat Bytet uh, a few weeks ago. And that was like an example of a person who has the skills, he has the knowledge, he has the values, he just decides to do something. Uh, there's actually, you, what you do is that you do it in the systems that are already existing, that the state provides us with. So, but he just informs and he has a big network and he uses that network to make this uh, message uh, to, to come out. And so, I mean, that's super inspiring. Yeah. You just like, less talking more doing and now it's i think it's 150 millions or something that has swedish crowds that has been transferred into to better climate yeah to found uh, what to say founder for yeah funds yeah. that are better for the climate yeah. it's it's i think it, it's really really funny that you said that because uh johan whom we interviewed yeah. in our last episode yeah. uh i think he created the climate budget with Joachim. yeah you see yeah Yeah, so great. Shows I didn't know the about power that. of that impact. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, but it also, I mean, shows that the bubble is quite small mm. when it comes to these things because we're sitting true. here. You interviewed him. I'm thinking about this. So it also yeah. shows that we need to reach out of this bubble outside of uh, uh, to make yeah. and that what we talked about earlier, like these different silos mm. need to meet and talk with each other and yeah. make strategies together. So that's the biggest, the bigger challenge. Yeah. But I mean that it can be both. So this can be both super good and how can we like leverage it? Yeah. So it's all about bringing people together. Yeah. And using yeah. the network. I mean, mm. yeah, we're all connected so we can use that more. Yeah, definitely. System thinking. System thinking. Yeah. <laughs> Well, Anna, it's been a pleasure having a talk with you. Yeah, this was so nice. <laughs> we will uh, probably see each other again very soon. Yeah, we will. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening. If you like Miram Talks, please rate us on Apple Podcast and spread the word. Miram Stockholm is a creative digital agency and a part of Wunderman Thompson VPP. We create meaningful experiences that make people and brands grow. For more information about our work, please follow miramagencies.com on Facebook, Instagram, or LinkedIn. Until next time.